Life Audio. How will you set your child up to become a lifelong learner? Look no further than Scribblers at Home, recipes from lifelong learners. This all-new resource from Classical Conversations is designed to help families of children ages 4 to 8 build strong learning habits early on. Through easy-to-follow activities, Scribblers at Home will help you create a family environment where you and your child love to play, create, and learn together. To explore this new resource, visit scribblersathome.com. Hey friend, Heather Creekmore here. I'm glad you're listening to the Compared Who Show. Today, we're finishing up an interview with Leslie Schilling, author of a brand new book called Feed Yourself. She is a dietitian who's worked with everyone from babies to professional athletes. She knows her stuff and she has some insightful things to tell us about ways we have been deceived and lied to in our relationship with food. Y'all, if you didn't listen to the first part of the interview, go back. You'll hear Leslie's story, kind of why she got into all this. And today we are going to go even deeper. So I am so glad you're here for this conversation really about what diet culture has done to us in the church specifically, how it's woven its way into everything and how we can start to change it. I'm glad you're here. Let's go. Welcome to Compared to Who, the podcast to help you make peace with your body so you can savor God's rest and feel his love. If you're tired of fighting body image the world's way, Compared to Who is the show for you. You've likely heard lots of talk about loving your body, but my goal is different. Striving to fall in love with stretch marks and cellulite is a little silly to me. Instead, I want to encourage you and remind you with the truth of scripture that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved no matter what your size or shape. Here the pressure is off. If you're looking for real talk, biblical encouragement, and regular reminders that God loves you and you're not alone, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy today's show and hey, tell a friend about it. Leslie Schilling, thanks so much for being on the Compared to Who show today. Thanks for having me back. I'm so excited to continue our conversation. Your new book comes out today or came out this week, Feed Yourself. And woo, you went there, all the places. I was hoping some Christian author would go. You go there with the data, like read the footnotes in this book, y'all. I mean, because I I do like, I always read the footnotes. I always read the footnotes. (laughs) But I think there's, There's so much skepticism that you will face, even if you do make these steps out of diet culture, you will face pushback. So it's good to know your stuff. And it's good to have a book like Leslie's to be like, hey, why don't you read this? (laughs) Let's talk about it and see what you think. Um, But today I want to get into a conversation, and this is really where your book kind of starts, is about diet culture in the safe spaces, diet culture in places where you know, like school, for example, where you're not there to, to, you know, nudge your, I'll tell you, personal story. I found out through the computer, the app that tells me what my daughter's assignments are. I found out that she had a biology assignment where she had to log her food for two days. I had no idea until that assignment was graded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, ah, we had a conversation about that, but it's everywhere. It's a small Christian school. Like, yeah. where did I come from? Um, what, 
what have you observed, Leslie? Like what, what are you talking about when you're talking about the infiltration of diet culture in these safe spaces? Yeah. You know, I think it came to a head for me um, when I was sitting in a sermon and a pastor brought a bunch of food to the stage and really started dichotomizing as, you know, this is good, this is bad. And um, we can do better with, you know, God on our side and, and really took a diet culture message of good food, bad food and wrapped it in a Bible verse. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there as a clinician and a Christian having moved, moved away from diet practices at this point. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm already on the non-diet intuitive eating kind of side of things. And I'm, and I'm just thinking, wow, how much shame just got delivered to people who like and enjoy and eat the foods that don't fall in the righteous category. And then I started seeing it all the time, like the jokes, the examples. And, and then I was like, wow, diet culture. Like I knew diet culture was in schools. Right. And I knew all those assignments and I experienced it, experienced it myself, like being weighed in front of my class in the sixth grade. Um, which was an awful experience. <laughs> so, um, you know, like we know, we know it's in schools. We know it's in medical offices because it's the first thing you encounter when you get there after signing in. Um, we, but, but church, but church, um, in places of worship, when, if we believe we're fearfully and wonderfully made, why are we afraid of M&Ms? You know, like if we believe we're fearfully and wonderfully made, why are we questioning that God made us in different bodies? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that really kind of sealed the deal for me about like, I've, I, I couldn't let it rest. I could not let it rest because it, it, that was just one of the examples. Other examples are, you know, pastors who are like talking about their diets or promoting certain types of eating or plans or whatever to their congregation. And like this, this is probably taking it further than you want to take it, but I took it, I took it here in the book is like, we're not reading the room very well. Mm -hmm. Like we've got people sitting in congregations that cannot afford this privileged food list that you just said is what makes us righteous. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe for one moment that God would require something of us that isn't available to all of us. And not one thing we put on our plates or don't put on our plates or how we engage our body in movement or don't can separate us from the love of God. Mm -hmm. And it breaks my heart to see messages delivered in what should be the safest of places like this to land on a believer's heart that their body shape size or how they feed it is tied to their worthiness. And that is something we've got to get rid of that. And, and it happens and, and, you know, it happens, I think innocently is definitely the wrong word, but it happens because diet culture is in the safe places. So these pastors, 
Christian influencers, whoever, like they grew up in diet culture too. They grew up thinking it's healthy. And then, and then if you want to be a good steward of your body, you need to be healthy. And just let me say like health um, as defined in our culture is not offered to everyone. And it does not look the same to everyone. And so I think we have to be really, really careful with those messages. Um, But, you know, we have to really wipe diet culture from the lens in which we view the Bible. And in the book, I was really, really careful of trying not to do what I say other people do, which is um, taking a verse out of context to support our kind of diet culture lessons or sermons <laughs> or whatever. Um, so I, you know, um, had some pastors and theologians that are much, that are actually biblical scholars um, help me out. Like I was like, I do not want to do what I say people are doing that's causing harm. And, you know, we really dug into some of these verses that are used um to harm and shame these amazing bodies um, and how we've done that and how it's wrong. And it really is about like, we are viewing from a, we are reading the Bible with a diet culture lens Mm -hmm. and um, we're we're really going to have to wipe that away to get diet culture out of our church. And I hope and pray that my work with the theologian in this particular chapter will help do that. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So good. There was something you said in the middle there. I just want to make sure that it's not lost. And and let me kind of add a story to it. So two or three days before I got your book, I was listening to a Christian meditation app that was talking about Proverbs 23. And I just did a two-part series on gluttony where I kind of broke down like the Proverbs 23, like all the all of the ugly ways we have turned that into the, you know, ultimate, like, you know, gluttony passage, which is not what it's about at all. But this Christian meditation app kept saying over and over again, you know, like, let's, let's make sure to stick to the outside perimeter of the grocery store. And if it comes in a package, it's not the best thing for your body. And like, that was the message in there. And when I got your book and I read, I don't, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but just to kind of rephrase what you said just a minute ago, if it's not accessible to everyone financially, just even what's, you know, what your, your local store is like, (laughs) you know, I, I live outside of Austin, Texas. There's no shortage of of wealth around, around where I live. Like got grocery stores within a stone's throw in every direction, but not everyone has that. If it's not available to everyone, how in the world could God require it? Yeah how could that be falling short of his standard? And, and so what seems to be mixed in there is this, this substituting like God's definition of holiness for some sort of food purity, right? Which is not like, what? Like that, the Jews had some food purity laws, but you know, Jesus showed Peter the blanket with all the animals <laughs> go eat. I mean, like we're not yeah. under those laws anymore. So like, where does this whole new set of food purity, you know, oh, yeah. the only pure foods are in the outside perimeter of the grocery store. Like, you know, yeah. now, now, now I know someone is listening saying, but what about nutrition? 
Yeah. Okay. And you do work on nutrition. Can, can you answer that, that dilemma? Someone's heart's like, Ooh, but that's not nutritious. What do you know? And Leslie will answer this right after this quick break. Are you tired of constantly telling yourself I shouldn't feel this way? It's so many of us guilt trip or gaslight ourselves instead of working our way through those complicated feelings. You should be a good friend, even though you feel hurt by past betrayals. You should be content, even though you feel lonely or unfulfilled. We've all been there, haven't we? But what if there was a way to reset these toxic mental tapes that sabotage our days? In her groundbreaking new book, I Shouldn't Feel This Way, Dr. Allison Cook encouraged you to not just silence those thoughts, but actually come face to face with them. You can find emotional freedom, learn to see through the haze of conflicted feelings, and move forward in your life with confidence. Pairing biblically sound principles with over 20 years of research and clinical practice, licensed therapist and best-selling author, Dr. Allison Cook, guides you through a practical three-step process to find the freedom you crave. Change starts when you finally stop beating yourself up for the way that you feel and say, you know what? I do feel this way, and I can finally do something about it. Take the first step towards clarity and peace today with I Shouldn't Feel This Way by Dr. Allison Cook. Available now wherever books are sold. Well, I would say, first of all, Jesus never asked you to like, have the most nutritious stuff. <laughs> you know, like that's like you don't owe it if 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 you feel compelled to eat more vegetables. That's fine. Mm-hmm. That's fine. If if you can afford it, mm-hmm. if you have access to it, if that sounds appealing to you, if it's not in service of diet culture, go for it. Mm-hmm. Nutrition is important but it's not the most important. It's not what diet culture has told us it is not, not at all. And so I think that's what we have to remember is like, what do, what is in service to diet culture and what's not. Mm -hmm. So I like, um, really like fruit. I like to eat fruit. Um, I tend to eat more vegetables because sometimes I find myself like not willing to cut up a fruit or (laughs) prepare the fruit. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like for me saying, I really enjoy fruit. I think I'm going to prep some to eat it more. That's not in service to diet culture. That's, that's me saying, I would really like to enjoy this more. Like this is a gift. Um, that's okay. I think it really depends on what, what it's really truly in service to. And we have to realize that we don't owe anybody a number on a scale. Mm. We don't owe the world health. Mm. It's actually not even achievable mm. for our world's view of health is not achievable for everyone. Um, there, there are people who have chronic diseases. There are people who have disabilities. There are people who have, um, do not have, um, say the able body that, that I have. And I think we really need to acknowledge that and not hold people to those standards. Um, you know, and that that's all a gift. It's a privilege that we have to acknowledge, you know? So, yeah, I mean, those are things that I think we, we really have to, hone in on them. Like if I really want to do this nutrition goal, who is it in service to? Mm-hmm. Is it in service to self and um, my own well-being and maybe closeness to God? Um, but I will say like, you, you just have to be, eat, you have to eat and be fed to get close to God. Cause you have to have the energy for that, like the, for the presence. <laughs> yeah. um, but we're so That's often fantastic. restricting, right. We're so often restricting and a restricted body does not, you know, promote like cognition, mm-hmm. um, 
the ability to truly be present with others. And so I I think, yes, you're right. Nutrition matters, but it doesn't matter as much as diet culture told us it does. And that's where I kind of dive into the book about social determinants of health, your zip code, how you, how you grow up, where you grow up, what you have access to is directly related to your health. And we have not acknowledged that in the church. So when I say like, um, read the room, pastors, influencers, we have to read beyond what's available to us and, and recognize that it's not available to everybody. And so, you know, social determinants of health, trauma, medications, is it in service to, to the scale? And I can promise you, if your nutrition goal is in service to the scale, it's in service to diet culture (laughs) and, and not something higher. So, um, yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah. Nutrition is important, but it is not the end all be all that we've made it. And listen, there are a lot of well-known physicians that have teamed up with pastors to do these programs. And I write about some of these in the book. I don't necessarily name names, but I um, write about these in the book where like what we're really doing here is creating um, clinical, the potential for clinical eating disorders and believers, because this purity around food is called orthorexia, Mm -hmm. not righteousness. Right. 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 It's a, it's a false. I, I, I mean, Chrissy Harrison, you know, actually I think her definition of diet culture is, you know, a system that worships, right? And I thought yeah. that word worship yeah. just stuck out to me because I don't know that Christy claims to be a believer, but but the word worship mm-hmm. indicates idolatry, right? And you talk Absolutely. about idolatry in the book. So it's like, okay, if we are taking believers and then the church saying it's okay to worship this too on the side, it's like, we're just building golden calves, like, you know, right? Yeah. The church foyer, yeah. the church it's like, kitchen, right? You know, let's get our steps, our 10,000 steps, which side note is not even based on science. It's just like, that sound, <laughs> that's a sounded good. Let's yeah. just, um, so, was, you know, so like, let's, you know, let's do, and, and if you're into that, that's fine. But like, really think about who and what is this in service to? And then, you know, or we're not able to enjoy a meal out with friends because we're, we don't know calorie numbers, which are also um, incorrect, plus or minus 20% yeah. allowed by the law. Yeah. So I'm like, we're like these exercises in futility yeah. um, to really serve diet culture. Um, and it doesn't get us closer to loving God or loving our neighbors. And then the gluttony thing that you, you were talking about too, like gluttony is like, I've had so many clients come into my office that are like, I have achieved a lot of things in my life. I am a successful person, but if I could just get a hold of my gluttony mm-hmm. and, and they've learned it in church yeah. that yeah. their desire to eat food, which yeah. is God given is wrong. Yeah. And, it, and it is not, it is not, um, but we've, we've used examples of gluttony as the definition of gluttony Mm -hmm. and we've harmed people. And what I've found in my own practice, and I have never met a glutton in 20 plus years of my own practice, never, ever, ever, even though people think that they are, Mm -hmm. what I've, what I've encountered is someone who's been so restricted Mm -hmm. and shamed in diet culture that honors their hunger and feels ashamed for it mm-hmm. when they've been pro- and experienced prolonged restriction in order to feel pure or righteousness, which, and, and, and that is so harmful, so harmful. But when we have the conversation about, I don't think what me is what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I think 
restriction of your very wise and divine body is what's going on here. And your incredibly wise body makes you want to eat more than what might be comfortable because it hasn't been fed for so long. That is not gluttony. And and I want to say like the definitions that we throw out from, from sermons and influence Christian influencers about gluttony are so, so harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, gluttony is a heart posture. Mm-hmm. It is not how you eat. Amen. It is not um, the food on your plate. It is not the size of your body mm-hmm. and people, pastors, somebody um, sent me a message the, this past week about like my pastor just said some, by looking at someone who lives in a larger body that they must suffer from gluttony. I'm like, that is fat phobia and anti-fat bias running rampant in the church. And that is so incredibly wrong and harmful. Um, but Gluttony, we have to remember, is a heart posture. It is more about your heart than and how you act towards others mm-hmm. than it is how we eat mm-hmm. and in in our bodies. And and that's just it's that's just one of the many examples of how mm-hmm. we've like used verses in the Bible to um serve diet culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, I went through every single verse that mentioned gluttony or gluttonous or glutton mm-hmm. in a two-part episode. And it was like, this yeah. is, you, there's no way you can say <laughs> Jesus was talking about food with any any yeah. kind. And it's not even listed on the New Testament list of sins. You know, we've got yeah. envy there, right? Which is yeah. probably our real problem, envy. Like, yeah. I want your body. I'm jealous exactly. of your body. I'm going to do what I can do to, to have your body. It's about yeah. food. So oh, that's so good. But as you're talking, I was thinking about just how much shame, yeah. right? Like just, and, and to your point, what do we do to our relationship with the Lord, with our neighbors? When we spend all day long battling the shame over, I didn't get my 10,000 steps in. Oh, I ate this thing. Oh, I ate too much of my gluttonous now. Like all of the shame. Yeah is so damaging to those relationships, but also to our purpose, right? Like no one that's filled with shame is like alive and like, let me go do what God's called me to do. It's like, no, can we hide? Like, let me get this area of my life straight first as I think what I thought and what I've talked to, you know, clients of mine are like, no, I just, you know, if I could just get this sorted out, then I can go do like whatever God's going to do. Yeah. Yeah. We've outsourced our inner wisdom Mm. and, um, yeah. And that's what happens when we outsource our inner wisdom. Like we, we go back to, to these external controls for validation when we don't need it. Mm-hmm. We're already enough. It External controls do not allow acceptance of God's grace. And so whether we're, you know, looking at our watch or, and I talk about wearables and trackers and all the things in the book. And, you know, there are times when people use it for good. Like I use my GPS when I'm tracking, you know, when I'm um, hiking, because, you know, I want to make it back to my car and we hike in some pretty, <laughs> pretty sketchy places. So, like, when there's, you know, you have to drop a GPS pan to get back. Like, that's a great thing. Using it for the weather, whatever. Some people use it for heart rate variability, and that can be helpful. Some people use it for sleep. It really, we have to ask ourselves, who is this who is this in service to? What is this in service to? Um, if it's say, I want to, I want to track my sleep to see if I'm getting good sleep. And if I'm not, I want that to be better because I know that if I sleep well, I connect with others. Well, I um, feed myself 
you know, consistently and adequately, you know, there are ways to use those things, but if we're continuously outsourcing our inner wisdom, then, you know, it it just doesn't leave room for God's grace of like, you know what, you didn't have to get all those steps today. It's okay. You know, what's more important connecting with that neighbor, that neighbor that's alone, um, that you've been thinking about, but you didn't have the energy to talk to or to take a meal or, um, and we don't have to do those things either, but like, we really have to think like, gosh, let me accept the grace of I'm already enough. If there's not a vegetable on my plate, I'm already enough. If I didn't get a walk in today, I'm already enough. If I don't have an able body and I can't get a walk in today, um, I'm enough. If I can't afford that food list that my pastor suggested that we follow every January, you know, I am, I am enough. God does not require that for me. Um, and, but I, and I pray that people do have enough to eat. You know, there are a lot of people in this country, in this country that don't have enough to eat. And I think we are one of the few countries that has the food supply that we have and people choose to refuse it. You know, that's, that's a privilege that, you know, like, and that's, that's this country, that's diet culture. Um, and, and we talk so much about, you know, there, there are a lot of books out there too, that, you know, like kind of talk about like your body is good and let's, you know, and, and all the things and, and wonderful, wonderful Christian influencers talk about like accepting that your body is good, but there's this one nagging thing that doesn't let us believe it. And that's because we have not addressed diet culture in the safe places. Yeah, agree for sure. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking about how it, it seems to me there's this phenomena that sometimes diets actually spread in our churches. Yeah, right? yeah. Like I, I've seen Optavia. Uh-huh. Lots of people tell me, oh, someone in my church led me to Optavia, you know, or the Gwen Shamblin, her way down workshop, like that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> through the churches, right? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I, I don't, it sounds like maybe Gwen started off on some sort of intuitive eating track and then I don't know what happened. We do, we <laughs> do not know what happened there. Yeah. <laughs> but, but why, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think women in the church are clamoring for this? type of rescue and that might be a really someone listening might be like that's a really strange way she asked that question but I really think it's what it is I think it's we're looking for rescue and it it hurts my heart and I was a woman in the church for you know 30 some odd years before I recognized that a diet wasn't going to be my rescue that Jesus had to be my only rescue but why why do you why do you think that that's so pervasive there's a lot there (laughs) There's a lot there. Um, so, well, I think we've been raised in many churches to not seek necessarily, this is a big pill to swallow, um, not necessarily to seek the love of God, sadly, but to seek the approval of man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And it is so tied to purity culture which God didn't ask if God did not ask that of us. Can we like revisit the woman at the well, mm-hmm. like every day as a reminder mm-hmm. that God never asked that of us, mm-hmm. but we are, we're, 
we're so wrapped up in the appearance and the perfection and the purity of the culture that God never asked us, asked, asked from us. And so I think a lot of it has to do, and there's a part in the book that is like, it was really hard to write um, because I've seen it so often where Christian women, and we talked about this in part one a little bit too, like, or where Christian women maybe kind of fall into diet culture and their bodies change, they get divorced. But the opposite happens too, where they're held to earthly standards by partners. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, I've seen that too. And the harm. Mm-hmm. And, and but that's also and like this is a whole nother book. But um there's also like men in some churches, not all, right? Are 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 basically taught to objectify women. Mm-hmm. And therefore women are taught to objectify themselves. Mm-hmm. And so you're just in this relationships that it's built on your aesthetic, mm-hmm. which is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yet this is chapter one. This is one of the stories in chapter one, where it's like, we are taught from an early age um, that the male gaze is one of the greatest things we can give the, the greatest things we can achieve. And that is not God's message. And, and I think that's, part of it that we have to step away from. And I talk about a really unfortunate story in the book, like several actual or chapter one. And then there's a chapter where you don't owe anyone a number on a scale where I talk about seeing this generation through a generation passed down to a daughter who's so deep in her eating disorder because, because of this. And so that's, that's a really that's a big, big pill to swallow, but it's also, once we see it, we can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, 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 if partners are to, you know, love others, like Christ loved the church. I mean, there's some rundown churches in the Bible. Let's talk about, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so like we, we also, we don't owe anybody a shiny constantly youthful appearance either Mm -hmm. and I think we really have to talk about this objectification piece too and I do I talk about how pastors are like you know like trophy wife stuff I'm using my air quotes like that is not okay that is not okay it perpetuates diet culture not to mention Mm -hmm. a lot of other things that are really really harmful um so yeah we we go there we we go to the ugly places because they need to get out of church yeah yeah that's so good I I interviewed a couple of pastors on the show a couple years ago and, and kind of ask that question. I was like, okay, so what do we do for the men that are, you know, saying slash believing these yeah. things like, well, you know, I heard in church that my wife should try to look good for me. Like I want her to try to look good for me. Like I, I want her to stay a certain size. I want her to look a certain way. Like that's the way she honors me. You know, all of the language we put around that. And, and I was so touched by the way, these two men answered it and they answered it actually with a theme that's in your book and a line or two I put in mine but they were like I would just ask the guy are you defining beauty the way the word does or the way the world does yeah and that's it end of story because if you're defining it the way the world does like well you are like that's that's what your standards are like where's your list if your list doesn't match up with the way the bible defines beauty then that's not a very good list that's not a god-sanctioned list and where's the grace and compassion for like if if you're you know a husband and you have a wife who's struggling in this world who probably will 
because she's living in diet culture. Um, where is the grace and compassion offered to this person you love and some type of understanding or compassion, just acknowledging how hard it is to, to walk through diet culture and beauty culture and anti-aging culture. Um, home should be the safe place where you don't have to conform, right? Homes, churches, it should be the safe place where who God made you to be body change and all, which is like, it is a thing. <laughs> we are not frozen in time in our prime. Um, you know, let home be the safe place where people are loved for who they are over their lifespans. And, and that's something I think that like, we have to have really hard conversations about that because we all had like, we all have men, women in the church have all had seeds of doubt and, and false beliefs planted without our consent. And we have to do our own work. So the next generation doesn't carry it. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. And I think about how hard it is. I just, I'm just picturing a woman listening today who maybe is where I am. Like I spent 20 years you know, on the diet track, over-exercising, yeah. teaching three fitness classes a day and then having yeah. a full-time job and not eating enough to even, you know, <laughs> for the burn I did in one class, right? Yeah. And what that did to my body now that I'm in my late forties and going from a place, I know a lot of the clients I coach, you know, had so or believed that they had uber control over how their body looked and, you know, yeah. controlling their body with these same behaviors in their 20s and 30s, only to hit the 40s and 50s and have no control, it feels like, anymore at all. All bets are off. And, and the, just the hard that that yeah. is. And, you know, so I just, I have so much compassion. If you're listening today, yeah. that's where you're at. Like, uh, there's hope. There is great hope. There is great hope. There's also grief. And I think that's something we have to validate, right? Is that there's grief in not getting what diet culture told you you could right. have, which is like, if you eat this way and you move this way, then you'll get this. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I had, um, I was doing a talk on, um, eating disorders for this group and, and someone asked me, you know, like she was super engaged and she was like, well, what do you think about like preference? Like I prefer to be this size and I feel like that's okay. And, and I was like, you know, um, the truth is your body doesn't really care what you prefer, <laughs> you know, like your body is going to be what your body is. And like, I love like, um, you know, some of the analogies that have been done around, um, bodies and like dogs, like I'm kind of like a cocker spaniel. I got the fluffy ears, which my hair, I'm kind of stocky and, you know, kind of athletic, like athletic build and on the kind of larger side, I'm not a chihuahua, but then we've got the St. Bernard and we're telling it needs to be a chihuahua. Like, like we offer like the support of body grace and body diversity to animals that a lot of us really, really love. And we would never, never think yeah. the St. Bernard needs to be the King Charles Cavalier. Right. Right. We, right. they're all dogs. Yeah. They're all different. And we're like, we respect it. And and the thing is like, weight is, is beyond our control. And not only does 
is, is this kind of like, we have this predetermined place where our body likes to hang out, but there's so many other variables, medications, illnesses, surgeries, injuries, um, all kinds of issues, you know, dieting, all, all these things, you know, like play a role and body weight is not a behavior. And I think that's something that like, we really need to like, we really need to be aware of in the church too, because if we're acting like willpower and praying will get us a different body, like we are not serving, mm-hmm. we are not serving God by those messages. Preach it. Oh, Leslie. I do so like good. to preach. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Okay. So your book, Feed Yourself, is everywhere books are sold. Yep. Tell everyone else where they should connect with you. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, mostly on the socials um, at Leslie Schilling and also on Facebook, which is Nutrition Leslie, Twitter, Nutrition Leslie. But I'm primarily on um, Instagram at Leslie Schilling. And if people are curious about the um, audio book, I read it. (laughs) So um, because some people do ask, like, you know, you know, they like for authors to read their own books. And Uh if you think I'm too Southern, then you should just read it. No. It's nice and gentle that way. Thank you. Thank <laughs> I you. I love it. Well, Leslie, I'll put all the links to everything in the show notes. I so appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. And thank you for watching or listening today. I truly hope something today has helped you stop comparing and start living. Bye-bye. The Compare To Show is proud to be part of the Life Audio Network of Podcasts. Go check out lifeaudio.com for more great content. Before you go, if something from today's show blessed you, may I ask a huge favor? Leave a review on your favorite platform. Seeing your five-star reviews is a huge encouragement to me. Not sure how to do it? You can go to compare to who.me slash podcast, scroll to the bottom, and you'll find all the information. And while you're at compare to who.me, check out some of the more than 500 articles on there about body image, comparison, all the things you're thinking about. Plus, you can find out more about my books, or you can grab a time for a free 10-minute call to see if coaching is right for you. I'm so honored to be a part of your journey out of body image and comparison frustration. And I can't wait to hear how God is working to set you free. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.